The following podcast is part of a certified educational activity titled Visualizing Progress in the Management of Chronic Spontaneous Urticaria, Harnessing the Clinical Potential of New and Novel Therapies to Address Unmet Patient Needs. Access the entire activity and complete the post-test at peerview.com forward slash CJC860. Downloadable additional resources are also available. Hello, this is Dr. Jonathan Bernstein from University of Cincinnati College of Medicine and Bernstein Allergy Group Bernstein Clinical Research Center in Cincinnati, Ohio. Welcome to this unique educational activity focusing on the role of new and novel therapies in the treatment of chronic spontaneous urticaria. Dynamic animations and a video will be used to highlight how elements of type 2 inflammation may play an underlying role in disease pathogenesis and how targeting such components is an attractive therapeutic option. Urticaria is poorly understood and underestimated clinical condition. It's characterized by the sudden onset of itchy wheels and swelling, angioedema, which usually resolves within 24 and 72 hours, respectively. Wheels in patients with urticaria is characterized by central swelling of variable size, almost invariably surrounded by reflex erythema. There's an itching and sometimes burning sensation that patients experience, a fleeting nature of the hives. They're evanescent. They come and go with the skin returning to its normal appearance, usually within 30 minutes to 24 hours. In contrast, patients who experience angioedema, who also have urticaria, they have sudden pronounced erythematous or skin-colored swelling of the lower dermis and subcutis or mucous membranes. It sometimes is painful rather than itching. Resolution slower than that of wheels, as angioedema can usually take up to 72 hours to resolve. The classification of urticaria is based on duration and relevance of eliciting factors. Urticaria that lasts six or fewer weeks is considered acute, whereas when it persists for greater than six weeks, it's called chronic. Urticaria should be classified as spontaneous, where there's no specific eliciting factor involved, or inducible, where there's a specific eliciting factor involved. Now, if we look at the burden of chronic spontaneous urticaria, it does pose substantial burden on patients. One can see that patients who have chronic hives have a lot of stress and anxiety associated with this. One day they're fine, the next day they've got welts all over their body and they're very worried and anxious about what might be causing it. And this can lead to depression, social isolation, sleep disturbances, embarrassment when they go into public settings, and difficulty with activities of daily living, such as work and school impairment. Now, chronic spontaneous urticaria can be associated with other clinical symptoms, including joint pain, headache and fatigue, flushing, breathlessness, gastrointestinal symptoms, and palpitations. At any given time, up to 1% of the world's population is affected by chronic urticaria, and up to two-thirds have chronic spontaneous urticaria. Of note, women are twice as likely as men to have chronic spontaneous urticaria. People with chronic spontaneous urticaria who develop swelling tend to experience longer-lasting symptoms. Similarly, patients who have inducible components, as we saw previously, also have a protracted course. However, in most cases, chronic spontaneous urticaria generally lasts one to five years, but can last for decades. 
Now, this is a nice illustration of the seven C's associated with the chronic spontaneous urticaria diagnostic workup and what you should do in every chronic spontaneous urticaria patients. So initially, one should confirm the diagnosis by ruling out other causes, establish a nice differential diagnosis as we do with any clinical condition. We try to find the cause, look for indicators of chronic spontaneous urticaria as there are associations with medications, foods, underlying medical conditions such as thyroid disease, chronic infections, autoimmune disorders. Are there inducible triggers, cofactors that can aggravate or cause hives? Are there comorbidities? And one should check for, again, autoimmunity, but also inducible forms of hives, as we mentioned. And are there other underlying mental health issues? Consequences. What are the consequences? We need to identify problems that are affected by the hives, such as sleep issues, just stress in general, sexual health, as well as work and social performance. And then identify the components, assess potential biomarkers or predictors of treatment response. And finally, the course. We should monitor chronic spontaneous activity and try to determine the impact therapies having on the condition and is it well controlled. So this is the confirm. Again, you can see there's a number of things that one should look for and may require additional specialized testing, including a skin biopsy, assessing for other parameters such as complement. We mentioned chronic inducible urticaria, and this can be confirmed with provocation testing with respective triggers such as cold or friction or exercise. And in patients with angioedema only, one should rule out drug-induced forms such as ACE inhibitors. Is there evidence of hereditary angioedema or acquired angioedema, or is it just idiopathic angioedema of unknown cause? So a thorough medical history should be included in the patient's assessment. CSU should be confirmed in all patients by going through a thorough differential diagnosis. And it really only requires limited diagnostic testing initially. We recommend at most initially CBC with differential, a sedimentation rate and a C-reactive protein, sometimes a thyroid test if it's not been done. Further testing, however, should be based on aspects of the patient's history and also details that are illustrated in this table. So the next of the C's is cause. And again, the recommendation is that physicians should explore patients with chronic spontaneous urticaria for underlying causes by asking relevant questions and by the use of more specific tests where indicated and available. Specialists should also measure total IgE and IgG antithyroid peroxidase antibodies. And if available, use basophil testing to assess patients with CSU for type 1 and type 2B immunity. So what we're trying to understand is, does the patient have the type of hives that will respond to antihistamines, the type of hives that will respond to certain biologics that are approved for urticaria, and this will help tailor their therapy moving forward. Cofactors is a third of the seven Cs, and this requires a search for relevant conditions that modify disease activity. And this may be related to things like food or drug intolerance, stress, or chronic infections. Many times patients come in thinking there's an association with foods, and however, when they eliminate these foods, they continue to have hives. There is some literature that indicates that certain chemicals in foods could be triggering hives. However, this is very controversial, and there haven't been any well-controlled clinical trials to demonstrate that this is necessarily effective. In 
terms of drug intolerance, many times patients make associations with medications that they take on a routine basis, like non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And it's important that we don't make a casual association because these are important medications and not all patients who have hives have reactions to these therapies. With respect to stress, you know, there is a need to make sure that patients are not having increased stress, anxiety, depression, or sleep impairment. If so, one can refer the patients to a psychologist or psychiatrist for further assessment. I mentioned chronic infections, and certainly there have been some associations, but these are not strong associations with chronic urticaria. So in general, no routine testing for conditions that modify disease activity should be performed, and further diagnostic tests listed in the above table should only be considered based on the answers to the respective questions in the table. So the next two Cs are comorbidities and consequences. And again, looking for other underlying disorders such as thyroid disease, I mentioned mental disorders and other inducible forms of hives that can be tested by provocation to rule in or rule out chronic inducible urticaria. However, again, similar to the previous slides, no routine testing should be performed for possible comorbidities and consequences, and the criteria for patients with CSU that should receive further tests are listed in the table. So it's also important to assess components of chronic spontaneous urticaria that are associated with longer disease duration, higher disease activity, and response to treatment. And these are listed here, and you can see that the parameters or biomarkers are linked to higher chronic spontaneous urticaria activity include prothrombin fragments, D-dimer, C-reactive protein, mean platelet volume, and IL-6 the presence of an autoantibody directed against the high-affinity Ig receptor on mast cells and basophils, a high D-dimer, a high urticary activity score, and a high C-reactive protein, previous corticosteroid treatment, and also low blood eosinophil and basophil counts have all been associated with poor response to second-generation antihistamines. In contrast, biomarkers linked to poor response to omalizumab treatment include low total IgE, a positive basophil histamine-releasing assay, history of previous immunosuppressive treatments, and low basophil high-affinity IgE receptor expression. And then finally, those patients with the biomarkers that actually predict a good response to cyclosporin would be a low total IgE and a positive basophil histamine-releasing assay. So I think it's important to assess CSU activity and concomitant chronic inducible urticaria in all patients with chronic spontaneous urticaria and getting CRPs and CBCs with differential should be performed as recommended by the international guidelines, as well as D-dimer and total IG as they might be helpful in guiding the treatment of these patients in respect to disease duration and treatment response. Now, this is a recommended diagnostic algorithm for chronic urticaria, and you can see it's broken down by wheels, which are the hives, and angioedema, which is the swelling. And they go through this algorithm. For instance, if we look at wheels, is there recurrent unexplained fever, joint bone pain, malaise? If it's no, then is there an average wheel duration of greater than 24 hours? Is it no, then are the symptoms inducible? And if it's yes, then one should do the provocation test to try to bring out these types of highs. If it's no, then one can surmise this is likely chronic spontaneous urticaria. 
But if the wheels are longer than 24, we want to consider other things such as vasculitis, and that may require a biopsy. If it's positive, then that would support the diagnosis. If it's not, then we go back and ask again, are they inducible? And if they're not, then that probably would make this a diagnosis of chronic spontaneous urticaria. There are other conditions that are not something we're going to cover, such as the autoinflammatory diseases or the hereditary acquired angioedema. But this is a very nice algorithm that kind of takes you through the gamut. Now, there are several validated instruments that help the clinician to assess disease activity and the impact and control of the condition. And one is the urticaria activity score. And this is a total of a 42-point score. It's made up of scoring of wheels and itch every day. So there's a maximum of six points per day going from no wheels or itch to mild to moderate and intense. And these are based on quantifying the number of wheels. So less than 20 for 24 hours is mild, 20 to 50 is moderate, and greater than 50 is intense. Similarly with the itch, mild is present but not annoying or troublesome, moderate is troublesome but does not interfere with normal daily activity or sleep. And intense is severe pruritus, which is sufficiently troublesome to interfere with normal daily activity and sleep. When you add these up, you get a daily urticaria activity score, and then you get an urticaria activity score over seven days. So the lowest number would be zero, and the highest number would be 42. So now we're going to look at the latest evidence for treatment options related to chronic spontaneous urticaria. What are the basic considerations in the management of chronic spontaneous urticaria? Well, the goal of treatment is to treat into chronic spontaneous urticaria is gone, okay? The therapeutic approach involves the identification and elimination of underlying causes, the avoidance of eliciting factors, and inducing tolerance, if possible, and the use of pharmacologic treatment to prevent mast cell media release or the effects of mast cell mediators. So when we look at identification, elimination of underlying causes, as we've discussed earlier, we think about drugs, physical stimuli, infectious agents, treatment of other inflammatory processes, reducing physical and emotional stress and reducing the functional autoantibodies that could be activating mast cells and finally dietary management. You want to treat as much as needed, as little as possible. Stepping up or stepping down should be done according to the patient's course of disease. And this is a nice algorithm for treatment. And you can see that it starts off by recommending just a single dose of a second generation H1 antihistamine. And if there's inadequate couture after two to four weeks or earlier, or if the symptoms are intolerable, then one should advance to up to four times the dose, the recommended dose of second generation antihistamines, which is safe to take. And again, if symptoms are still intolerable, then we have to think about next steps. And one of the higher profile therapies at this point would be omalizumab, which blocks Ig receptors and blocks IgE in the peripheral blood. But if again, if this is ineffective after four to six injections, or if symptoms are intolerable, then we have to potentially think about cyclosporin and we have to make sure that patients don't have underlying medical conditions that make this a relative contraindicated therapy. Up to 50% of patients living with CSU, their disease remains uncontrolled and available treatment options are few. Thus, additional safe and effective alternative therapeutic options are needed. Now, what are the what are the causes of chronic spontaneous urticaria? Well, we certainly don't know for sure, but there are theories of pathogenesis. 
Now, this is the approved off-label and novel biologics for chronic urticaria, and we've talked about several of these that are currently undergoing clinical trials, including dupilumab, benralizumab, ligalizumab, and also the CDX0159. So there's a number of active trials and with some data to support that they're safe and effective, but we have to wait to see what the phase three trials show and before they, they can be recommendations. A case study reported the benefit of dupilumab treatment in six patients with chronic spontaneous urticaria who had failed to respond to omalizumab. And these are the illustrations of these cases. So there was a significant reduction in hives and so forth. This is just looking at the phase three study design and the endpoints, which are primary itch severity score and the urticaria activity score is a secondary endpoint, as is the itch severity index, the high severity index, and angioedema activity score, as well as the urticaria control test and quality of life form, as well as the patient global assessment and percentage of patients receiving oral corticosteroids. Now, again, looking at the results of the CUPID study, this was a trial that enrolled 138 patients. So the primary endpoint in this study in the United States, which was secondary endpoint in the European Union, was the reduction in itch severity with dupilumab. And it was identified that it provided continuous improvement out to week 24. When dupilumab was added, there was a 63% reduction in itch severity with dupilumab and a 35% reduction with standard of care antihistamines. And this is measured by a 0 to 21 point scale, which has been validated in other studies. This equates to a 10.24 point reduction with dupilumab and a 6 point reduction with standard of care. Now, furthermore, there was a 65% reduction in urticaria activity severity with dupilumab versus 37% with standard of care as measured by the 42-point urticaria activity scale. And again, this equates to a 20.53-point reduction with dupilumab and a 12-point reduction with standard of care. The trial also demonstrated safety results similar to the known safety profile of dupilumab for its approved indications for the 24-week treatment period. The occurrence of treatment emergent adverse events were generally similar between the dupilumab and placebo group. The most common adverse events were injection site reactions, and 11% of these occurred with patients taking dupilumab and 13% of patients on placebo. Now, ligalizumab is the next generation hyphen dehumanized monoclonal anti-IG antibody. So here we see illustration of how ligalizumab binds to Ig in the peripheral blood. So Ig cannot bind to the hyphen the Ig receptor on mast cells, and therefore it can't release the mediators that lead to hives. Now, this is looking at the trial design for ligalizumab for CSU and the phase 2B study which compares different dosings of ligalizumab to omalizumab, the approved dose, which is 300 milligrams every four weeks versus placebo. And there are three dose ranging groups for ligalizumab. One is 24 milligrams every four weeks, one 72 milligrams every four weeks, and one 240 milligrams every four weeks. It's interesting, the patients who are in one of the placebo groups, they initially get the ligalizumab dose and then thereafter get nothing and are monitored throughout the rest of the study. And you can see in the dose response curve for ligalizumab, it's quite more pronounced compared to omalizumab. So the active comparator is the vertical line, and you can see that ligalizumab does improve more significantly in terms of its dose response curve compared to omalizumab. 
Now, this is looking at the phase 2B trial data for legalizumab for chronic spontaneous urticaria at week 12. And you can see looking at weekly itch, hive severity based on different dosings, it'll vary. And then similarly, as we see the odds ratios on the right, which indicates that some of these doses are more effective than others. Legalizumab compared with omalizumab is being investigated in ongoing phase three clinical trial programs to assess its place in the treatment of chronic spontaneous urticaria. Now, benralizumab is an IL-5 receptor alpha-directed cytolytic monoclonal antibody. And this is data from our study that shows that patients who were receiving benralizumab had a run-in period of a placebo, and then they received their first dose, and there was improvement in their UAS7 scores as well as their individual markers and components. And then it starts to plateau and then further decline over the final you know, four to six weeks. So again, this is one of the studies that led to the initiative to conduct the Arroyo study, which is ongoing. So these are some final thoughts about how novel treatment options for chronic spontaneous urticaria have the potential to transform the management of this disease. Well, I think it's important to recognize that only up to 40 to 50% of patients with chronic hives respond to high-dose antihistamines. And so we need other treatment options. And the role of biologics have really opened up the field of urticaria and provided some additional treatment options and have actually improved their hives remarkably. So I think that with more of these therapies, more understanding of relevant biomarkers, which features in a patient would be most suitable for receiving one or other agents has really created a whole new understanding of this oftentimes difficult to treat disease. That ends our discussion for today. I hope you found the activity informative and useful to your practice and encourage you to access the supplemental materials. Thank you very much for participating. This activity is certified by Medical Learning Institute, Incorporated. This activity is developed with our educational partner, PVI, Peerview Institute for Medical Education. Thank you for listening. Download materials and complete the post-test for instant credit at peerview.com forward slash CJC 860. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Sanofi Genzyme and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals.